Welcome to a special episode of Fire and Water Records, the Fire and Water Podcast Network's music anthology show with a license to thrill. I'm Ryan Daly, and this is episode 007 of Soundtrack Selections, where my guest and I take turns discussing some of our favorite songs that debuted or featured prominently in films. For this episode, I have recruited not one, but two special agents. As you might have sussed out from the episode title, the theme for this episode is all James Bond movies and songs. Therefore, I reached out to the co-hosts of MI6 Rookie Agents from On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast at White Rocket Entertainment, as well as the co-hosts of Action Film Face-Off and other shows on the Longbox Crusade Network. First up is the yard sale artist, Jared Albrecht, a.k.a. Death Probe. What's up, Jared? Hello, Ryan, and thank you for giving me the password to your secret lair. I'm happy to be here tonight. I assume you will not abuse that privilege. No, no, I've got, uh, well, you've got a volcano base, I've got ninjas, let's make magic happen. (laughs) Everybody needs a good volcano base. And next up is Jared's older and wiser brother, Jason Albrecht, a.k.a. Weasel Skull. Well, thank you. I, too, enjoy being in this uh, in this base. I don't think Sean Connery followed me here. <laughs> I doubled back on my tracks. I used my spy craft. I looked in the windows to see if there's a reflection. And I'm pretty sure I got away from him. Oh, 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 oh. that's what you think, you pansy. <laughs> so we got Mini Pro. We got uh, Mini Skull. And we've got uh, who's this guy over here? What's your name, boy? Ryan. What was it before you changed it? <laughs> Never answer that question. It's a pretty well, Irish name, one. sir. I'm not, not <laughs> well, okay, I'm sorry about that. He follows me around wherever I go. So he, but you practice all that spy craft, but he still tailed you. So this is James ask, Bond, man. It's James ask, Bond. I gotta ask Sean, on a scale of 1 to 10, how's Jason's spy craft? Negative 007. <laughs> He's a four! I was going to say four. He's a four. He's a four. <laughs> At best. Oh, goodness. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you. And and really, for anybody listening, if you are not familiar with these guys' shows, please do check them out. Uh, we'll have links to those in the show notes. Um, and, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, the reason I reached out to you, you guys are very huge James Bond fans. Uh, so before we kick off the episode, I mean, I have to ask, where did that fandom originate? Where did that come from? Uh, Jason, we'll start off with you. How and when did James Bond come into your life? And like, what were the circumstances? What made you such a fan of this property? Well, when I was a kid growing up, I was probably about, uh, I don't know, maybe six or seven years old. And my dad was watching Thunderball back when it came on. the I don't remember. It was ABC or CBS Sunday night at the movies. And I remember specifically the scene was the the bomber when it lands in the water. And I watched that and I was like, well, this is kind of cool. And I kind of settled in and 
watched James Bond and really loved that underwater battle scene. I think I'm the only one on our team that appreciates it as as much today as I did when I was seven years old. But uh, that's that's what got me hooked. And then from there, I, I begged my parents uh, when Moonraker came out to take me to go see Moonraker, but they said I was too young. Uh, and then For Your Eyes Only came out, and that was the first big one uh, that I saw on the big screen. So so that's that's pretty much the history, and I've stayed with it ever since. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I might be the only other person who likes Thunderball quite a bit. Uh, that, that's definitely in my upper echelon of the Bond movies. I think the water sequence goes on way too long for as naturally slow as water sequences Shut do. Shut your mouth! <laughs> But everything else about it, I like. I like Largo. I like the first two thirds of the movie. Also, I, I think both Domino and uh, Fiona Volpe are some of my favorite Bond ladies. Yeah, I, I enjoy that one. Uh, Jared, what about you? Uh, coming in a, a couple of years later, how and when did James Bond enter your life? Uh, James Bond. I started watching the films about six, eight months ago, and <laughs> really liked them. Uh, You're a precocious scamp. <laughs> Matt Damon is just really blowing me away with the performances. <laughs> All right, I'll, uh, I'll stop being that guy. That's not even funny, man. <laughs> I know, I felt dirty doing the bit. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. Shower after that. that statement. Felt bad about it. Well, as Jason told you, Jason picked it up at the age of six or seven, and he's five years older than me. So by the time I was born, like James Bond was just a thing in my house. I just assumed every family was big Bond fans like we were. My first true memory really is Moonraker, because I was born in 76. Moonraker came out in 79. And I remember looking through Jason's trading cards, the Moonraker trading card set, which is so baller that I have a complete set as we speak. Uh, I loved uh, He had a, a poster book. There was, he had posters on his wall that he'd gotten out of a Moonraker poster book. I forgot these about are that, all, but yeah. These are all memories I'm picking up at three and four years old. And so James Bond is just a thing. Every time it comes on the, I'm pretty sure it was ABC Sunday night at the movies, we would watch them. Uh, when the technology came around, we would tape them on VHS to rewatch over and over, especially Free Eyes Only. I can tell you where every commercial break in that movie is when I watch it to this day. Um, so anyway, it was just like a, it was just like a thing in my life. It, it, it just was. And my mother had a friend that would babysit for me and Jason, and she had the glorious thing known as HBO. <laughs> and, Mecca. And the HBO was playing for your eyes only on a constant loop every 45 minutes, which is weird because the movie's over two hours long, but somehow they were playing on a loop every 45 minutes. I swear that movie was on. And so we watched for your, for your eyes only all the time. And then our sister was born. And I remember our next door neighbors to kind of give my mom a break from us boys when she had that, you know, with my sister was just a baby. They took us to see Octopussy. So Octopussy was my first big screen. James Bond, I was blown away. Uh, if I wasn't hooked already, I was all the way in. And I've seen every single one on the big screen since, with the exception of The Living Daylights, which came out while we were moving from the U.S. to Germany. So we missed mm. that one on the big screen. Yeah. I've been thinking about it and... To the best of my recollection, uh, I mean, because I, I mean, I was born in the early '80s, so my first memory of being aware of who James Bond was, it was probably seeing a trailer for one of the Dalton movies. Um, I'm thinking probably *License to Kill*. I didn't, I didn't see it at the time, and I just remember, just, for some reason, just from the trailer, something about Timothy Dalton. 
I, I don't want to say turned me off I, because Jared, I know, I know you're a huge fan <gasps> of him, but I thought there was something weirdly sinister about the way he looked. Yeah. And I was like, this is supposed to be the hero. I don't think I get this. And again, I'm a kid. Like, I, you know, um, so like something about that. But then not too long after that, I remember just sitting around flipping through the channels, you know, with my, my mom and my brother and Goldfinger came on. And of all people, like my mom actually strongly reacted to it. She's like, oh, this is a James Bond movie. And I found out that she had a huge crush on Sean Connery. Uh, well, from from my perspective, you know, again. Send me those digits. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you, Ma. Um, I knew Sean Connery from The Untouchables um, and later on from like as Indiana Jones's dad. So I'm familiar with an older, more established, bearded Sean Connery. I don't think of him as a sex idol for people or whatever. So I was like, wait, you like you had a crush on Sean Connery? That's so weird, Mom. And then I, after watching you know some of Goldfinger, I was like, oh, okay, I kind of see uh, what this guy looked like. It was what is he was a kid. Um, but because between those two things, it wasn't something that jumped out at me until, you know, being a teacher in the nineties, when Goldeneye is announced, oh. uh, when I see that and I see there's this new, this new bond, Pierce Brosnan, it's a new era. And I was like, okay, this is something that I can get. I kind of see the charm and the attractiveness of this guy, but still I didn't see it in the theater and it became a thing where I didn't see any of these movies in the theater. I would rent them as soon as they were available. Uh, so I saw GoldenEye, and then I saw uh, – it wasn't The World is – no, the, yeah, The World is Not Enough, uh, and then Tomorrow Never Dies, and then Die Another Day. I saw all of those. Flip-flop, Tomorrow Never oh. Dies, then The World is Not Enough. Okay. All right. Thank you. Are you... We're those guys. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, anyway, Casino Royale, of all of them, was the first my first theatrical James Bond, um, and then it was really just – I had fill, I had backfilled some of the movies over you know the time just like kind of growing up and things like that. I'd seen more, but it was probably when I discovered you guys' podcast like two years ago, uh, and I listened to the the Rookie Agents episodes for Doctor No and then from Russia with Love, and I was like, you know what, I gotta I actually gotta experience these things, and I found out that they were all on Amazon Prime or something for a month, so I started binge watching them, uh, and then I fell off, but I finally just in preparation for this. I came back and I started watching because they, I think they were off. They were off Amazon Prime for a little while, and you know, I I was watching them when my kid was brand, like newly born and slept a good chunk of the day, and schedules got confusing then. But I will say that I had been a rookie agent until just a few days ago because there was a patch from Octopussy until The Living Daylights that I had not seen. There were like four or five movies in there that I had not yet watched, but I binged through them just in the past week to print it, to get prepped for this one. So, and then I've lit, I have, <laughs> I am almost caught up with all of your uh, episodes. I'm still in the middle of the, uh, the Brosnan ones, but oh, okay. I'll tell you what though. I'll, I'll go way back to when you started and I will cut you some slack. Timothy Dalton is my favorite, but I will say of all the bonds, he has what most people in the bond community refer to as, Wolf's eyes. Yeah. It's a very sinister look. And then in License to Kill, he is particularly sinister because it's a revenge movie. Right, right. I could see that. Yeah. All right. So for this episode, uh, listeners, if you haven't figured out, we are going to be sharing some of our favorite songs that appeared in the James Bond movies. And I'm going to caution us again before we jump right in. What do you think makes a good James Bond song? Um, because, uh, you know, spoilers for the songs that did not make my list. Uh, I, I like almost all of them to some degree or another. A few, not so much. 
for instance, I will say that Madonna's Die Another Day is a really dumb song. And I really, I, I don't think Pat Sampson will ever be on this show because I know he he, he likes that song. <laughs> so, you caught that, did you? <laughs> yeah, when I was listening to your guys' show, when you were ranking these songs, once I heard him talking favorably about Die Another Day, I was like, well, he's not going to be on this show. But there are songs like uh, Another Way to Die from Quantum of Solace, the uh, the Jack White and Alicia Key song. I think it's a really cool rock song. I don't think of it necessarily as a James Bond song. Uh, you Know My Name uh, from uh, Casino Royale. I love Chris Cornell. I think he's got one of the greatest rock star voices for of like male vocalists and everything like that. It's a great song. But when I hear that, I was like, I, you know, I'll put this on like a, just a rock jam playlist. It's not necessarily a Bond song for me. And even like um, uh, A View to a Kill by Duran Duran is kind of in that same mold where I, I think it's a great song. And it's a cool pop song for like a Brit pop thing, but I don't think of it as a Bond song. So that's my bias. Don't let Pat hear you say that either. I know. <laughs> Pat left right. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's my bias coming in. But what about you guys? What do you think makes for a great James Bond theme song? Yeah, that's a really hard question. And I got to tell you, I've been thinking about this all day today because I knew this question was coming. And I don't know if I still have a good answer. I think. So much of it is your own individual taste. Mm -hmm. But to me, I think what a Bond movie is at the end of the day, it's a B-movie story that's wrapped in all the glitz, the glamour, the class of an A-list movie. And the song needs to capture that in some way. Mm. I don't know if that makes a ton of sense. But, you know, you have some of the songs that speak directly to the movie you know goldfinger he's the man the man with the midas touch you know it's right there in the song and then you have some like you mentioned like uh you know my name i you know to, to defend that song a little bit i really liked it because to me this was bond coming back after he'd been gone for so long mm -hmm. and boom you know my name with that credit sequence and with him walking towards you, you see his eyes in the screen. You know my name, Agent 007, activated <laughs> man. That got my heart pumping. And so I like that song a lot. So I guess at the end of me, it's does the song hook me into the movie uh, or does it emote some general feeling of love and you know euphoria for Bond in general? That's what it's got to do to me. And some of those songs do it better than others. I know I've kind of rambled on, but I think that's the best air I can give you, Ryan. Jared, what do you think? I think the best Bond songs make you want to drive really fast. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can expand upon that a little bit, but I think a, the best Bond songs really get your blood moving, make you want to go do secret agent stuff, uh, even though you have no business doing that kind of stuff if you're in my kind of shape. Pizza Hut knows your name. Yeah, Pizza Hut knows my name. But uh, <laughs> for real, personal taste, once again, I think they have a big, bold, brassy sound. They need to sound like John Barry was involved in writing the song, whether he was or wasn't. Uh, I, I hear shades of John Barry and Goldeneye, and he didn't write that song, but it sounds like a John Barry song. Mm -hmm. John Barry's going to have his fingerprints all over the music world of James Bond from the moment it begins to where we are now. And I think as long as it has a big, brassy sound, hints of John Barry, and makes you want to drive really fast, that's your perfect mix for a great Bond song. There are occasional ones that slip through. Nobody does it better 
is a really good Bond song that really breaks that mold. But uh, in the end, I'm I'm sticking with, with uh, Drive Fast, John Barry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the other quality is to me the the song has to be a little bit has to be sexy. Um, it it kind of needs that innate quality to it. And I, I mean, it also it could be my bias in that you know the first couple Bond films that I was watching and and kind of paying attention to, being that that stretch of the Pierce Brosnan songs all of those songs had female vocalists too. Um, and I kind of got in the mindset that a James Bond song should have a female singer. Uh, so I was, it was kind of jarring to hear Chris Cornell that I knew from Soundgarden and Audio Slave as just, you know, this rock star singer. And again, really liked the song, but it was kind of like, this is a weird tempo to set for this type of more grounded and realistic James Bond movie. And I mean, I would even say something like uh, the the song from Spectre, "The Writings on the Wall" by Sam Smith. I like the song. I kind of wish it would have just been a different singer. I wish it would have been a woman singing that song. I think somebody else could have hit the the notes a little bit better. You know, Ryan Beck. When I was first watching James Bond as a kid, I remember thinking that same thing. To me, the Bond vocals had to be by a woman. So the first time I heard "Live and Let Die," mm-hmm. I kind of had the same reaction that you did to uh, "You Know My Name." I thought, "Hey, this is a great rock song," but it doesn't quite feel right to me for a James Bond song. Um, I don't know. I guess I, it's it's grown on me to the point where I don't feel that way anymore. But Hearing you describe it, that did take me back, and, and I did have those feelings when I was first watching Bond. Same here. Same here. You're not crazy, Ryan. Well, not about that. <laughs> All right, then. We are going to move on to our playlists. Each one of us brought three songs. Uh, and I told the guys up front, uh, the song Live and Let Die by Paul McCartney had previously appeared on one of these soundtrack selections episodes. But I said, if you guys want to bring that back, uh, you feel free to, because I welcome more opinions about that song. Uh, but they didn't. I'll spoil that. They went in different directions. Um, the other thing about their, our selections is, in all cases, I like to defer to the guests. I like the guests to pick out their songs first before I make my own selections. This time that kind of bit me in the ass because after you guys made your list between the two of you, you picked all of my top three songs. So you got class and style. Like, I like it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, I'm gonna have to find out something else to talk about, but we'll we'll see what we can do. So, but in fact, I mean, that actually kind of made my selections interesting. So I am going to start off, and I'm gonna start off with the 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 place to actually begin which is the James Bond theme by the John Barry Orchestra from 1962's Dr. No.
as I understand it, the exact authorship of the theme is somewhat in dispute with Monty Norman claiming that he wrote the song and the courts supporting that claim for the most part. Uh, but John Barry is credited with arranging the song and performing it with his orchestra for Dr. No and then half of the James Bond movies after that. Um, I love this theme. Pretty, It is so instantly identifiable. As soon as you hear the first couple of notes, you know who it is. <laughs> you know the name. Uh, you know what you're in for. It is just that one of those just themes that is so readily, it's like baked into the popular consciousness as much as the Star Wars theme or the Indiana Jones March or the Superman theme. You know James Bond's theme now. It's in pop culture. Beyond that, though, I think there's something that is both more subtle and more obvious about it that I really, really dig. Um, the song feels thematically appropriate to the character to me. It starts off with this guitar riff and a rhythm section. It's just very cool. It's very smooth. It's understated. This is for James Bond when he's walking into the casino. He's dressed in the nines or he's driving his car in some exotic location. I love it. But then... The brass section kicks in with those saxophones and horns. That's when the movie goes all out action. That's when you hear, see explosions. Uh, that's when it gets into the James Bond story. So I think this song, this music piece kind of represents everything that you get in a James Bond movie. It's cool. It's smooth. It's rhythmic. And then it's explosive too. So what do you guys think? Jared, what do you think about this? Uh, the John Barry theme from man? What a question. It's, it's like, Jared, explain to me your genetic code because this is part of my genetic code now. You, you, you did a beautiful, by the way, explanation of the theme and how it works. Does it make me want to drive fast? Yes, it does. So there you go. It's one of my criteria. Is it big and brassy? Absolutely. Unfortunately, you alluded to the whole court case thing, Monty Norman, John Barry. I, I wish it didn't go that way. I wish it could be seen as, as what I think in reality is the perfect marriage of the two. I think Monty Norman wrote some wonderful notes, and I think John Barry and his orchestra made them come alive with a pop and flair that nobody saw coming. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it was, it, could, it was something of an albatross over Barry's head because it's everyone associates it with James Bond. It, it is, like you said, it's Superman. It's Jaws. It's Star Wars. It's that recognizable and Barry wanted something that was completely his own. And I know we're not going to cover it on the show today, but I encourage listeners to check out John Barry's 007 theme. I actually like it a little better than the James Bond theme by Monty Norman. I know, heresy. But give that a listen in your, own, in your own time. And and listen to John Barry's pure, his own. It's called the 007 theme. And, uh, and you know, make up your own mind. But I've done what Jason did. I rattled off a lot there. I'll, I'll leave the scraps for you, Jason. I mean, I think you summed it up beautifully. I think anytime Jared and I are anywhere in the world, if we're together or apart, we hear the James Bond theme coming from a television in a restaurant or a bar, we're stopping what we're doing. <laughs> it's that theme that's like, it grabs you by the nose and it says, pay attention to me, because some of the coolest stuff that you will ever see on the big screen is going to happen right now yeah that's that's what this song does to me man i it, to this day whatever i'm doing i hear that james bond theme and i'll take you back to when i was a kid man when my parents wanted to punish me for doing something wrong and there was a james bond movie on that sunday night at the movies oh. and they would ground us from it they would intentionally watch it and turn the volume up so we could like hear it. And every time that bond thing come on, I start crying. I'm like, oh, I'm missing it. I'm missing it. 
So that's what that theme means to me. That's not quite the same as like swinging a knotted rope against your balls, but it's pretty, that's its own kind of torture. It's own kind of torture. Yeah, it's, it's one step down from <laughs> swatted rope to your good and blinds. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, all right, from there, uh, Jared, what is your first soundtrack selection for this episode? I have selected Goldfinger by Shirley Bassey. It is from the movie, wait for it, Goldfinger. recognizable James Bond song outside of the Monty Norman John Barry James Bond theme that we did on track one. I think if you play this song for even people who aren't Bond fans, who maybe have just a casual passing familiarity with them, they're going to go, oh, that's from a Bond movie. Absolutely, 100%. Shirley Bassey belted out in the most beautiful way possible. I mean, she to hit and hold that last note it's a, it's a quasi-famous story, but maybe your listeners don't know. <laughs> she does a take. She doesn't like it. She goes, give me a second, goes behind the screen, takes off her bra <laughs> so that she can get <laughs> the biggest lungful of air possible and holds that last gorgeous note. This song is sexy. This song is brassy. This song has John Barry's fingerprints all over it. It's got Dame Shirley Bassey's fingerprints all over it. It is the perfect blend of awesomeness and as i told on a couple other podcasts and i will tell it here this one means a lot to me because five-year-old jared had a buck to spend at a flea market i spent some of that if not all of that buck on the goldfinger soundtrack lp record and you know here i am in my 40s now i'm jared albert the yard sale artist and my origin stories all start at yard sales there i was at a flea market bought a second-hand record, brought it home, and Jason and I played that thing until the needle was a nub on our record player. Every track on that album is amazing. Back to you, Jason. <laughs> oh, man, what what can I add to that? Jeez. Um, I'm still trying to think, like, how restrictive was her bra? <laughs> I'll tell you, man, have you ever tried to hold that note? Because I have. <laughs> we I woke up to... Bra. I, I, I let my moves fly, man. I just let it, let it fly. I woke up like two days later. I, I mean, 
that is, yeah, that's a belter right there. Uh, yeah, I definitely remember that album. I remember us playing the heck out of it. It is a beautiful song. It is a quintessential Bond song. And uh, yeah, I don't know what else to add. I think you summed it up beautifully, Jared. This would have been in my top three. This would have been my th- one of my three selections if you guys hadn't picked it. Um, I do. I love this song. I love Shirley Bassey's voice. Uh, it is so identifiable. I love the horns and how big the song is right up front. It's a immediately attention grabbing. Uh, it, it just like it knocks you down. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean. Uh, well, okay, let me let me turn it back on you guys, and you can team up for this one. I have a trivia question for you about this. Okay. Uh, well, not so much a trivia question. It's a, 1963. It's a multiple-choice question. Oh, okay. <laughs> Based on the lyrics of this song, does Goldfinger love A, gold only, B, gold and silver, C, gold and diamonds, or D, nuts? <laughs> oh, brought us all the way in. <laughs> the answer is uh, <laughs> Oh my god, he loves only gold. <laughs> hey, I will say this just to uh, add. I can't help myself, but to add, if you've got listeners that want to expand more, you know, Shirley Bassey did three theme songs. She also did a version of Mister Kiss Kiss Bang Bang that was almost a theme song. She's done remakes of All Time High. Bottom line is, if you want to hear a lot of great James Bond music from a great singer, go check out more Shirley Bassey music. If Delvin were here, he'd say, Dame Shirley Bassey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know she did a version of All Time High. I might have to check that out. Indeed. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right, Jason, moving on to you. What is your first selection? Well, I kind of went with one that might be a little unusual because this is one that I did not like when I was a kid, when I first saw it, uh, and I've come to love as an adult. And that's We Have All the Time in the World uh, by the late, great Louis Armstrong. And this was one of the, if not the last song that he ever recorded, uh, So, which I think is very apropos uh, for the title. We have all the time in the world Time enough for life to unfold all the precious things love has in store. We have all the love in the world. If that's all we have, you will find we need nothing more. So as a kid, I saw Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and I didn't know what to make of it. I'd seen all the Conneries. I'd seen most of the Moors. This one came out, or this one I saw on television, and I was like, as a kid, it's like I'm seeing James Bond crying. He lost at the end of the movie. I don't know how to feel about it. It had this love song in the middle of the movie. I am very uncomfortable with this. This has gone against the formula. <laughs> and then as an adult, that movie has climbed steadily up the ladder in my 35 plus years of Bond watching till it's one of my top favorites. This is a movie that 
went beyond itself. It told a story about the character that will continue to ripple um, into the Daniel Craig era, even. And this song is a beautiful song, which will also make the you know some of the lyrics will make an appearance. Uh, and for your eyes only, you know, it's just a gorgeous song. And to me, it's a part of the legend of the character, James Bond. And I'll turn it back to you, Ryan. I, 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 so when I was watching my, uh, when I was doing my marathon, again, that started like two years ago, I had heard a lot about Honor Majesty's Secret Service as this one kind of outlier that had, A, a an actor who never played the character again and was kind of forgotten and then B had this marriage subplot where he gets married at the end. I was like, really? This, this is kind of like a weird one. Um, and the, when I first watched it, my first thought was, I'm not really feeling the vibe for this one. I don't know if I like this one as much. And then as the days passed and I would watch subsequent movies, some of the, the, um, the Roger Moore ones that came afterwards, I was like, Boy, I really like that on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I was like, that was better than I gave it credit for. I might have to rewatch it. So now, I that's in my top five of the Bond movies. Um, this is a a beautiful song. Uh, it's a love song. It's a great wedding song, which is uh, essentially fitting because it's the love theme for James and Tracy, the one woman that he actually marries, uh, despite the fact that it ends tragically. Um, but for that reason, for the fact that it comes at the end and it's. It's a, a, just a classic love theme. Like, I have trouble, you know, for this one fitting into my criteria as a Bond song. I think there's, like, a strike against that, that this doesn't this doesn't necessarily remind me of James Bond instantly. Probably because I heard it before I ever saw the movie. But I, I love the song. I wouldn't put it on my list of favorite Bond songs because of... The, the the sort of exceptions that it doesn't make me necessarily identify as a James Bond song, but it is a beautiful, beautiful song. Uh, and, and yeah, wonderfully, wonderfully performed by Louis Armstrong. And yeah, I, I also have a note that this was the last one that he did before he died. So, Jared, what do you think about this one? doesn't make me want to drive fast. But <laughs> it's still a great song because it does have the John Barry fingerprints all over it. And for us Bond fans, it will always have a ton of meaning because of the movie that it's attached to. I will now do the thing that I've done on the last, I don't know, everybody's round and let everybody know there's an, actually an excellent remake of the song done by, surprise, surprise, the Fun Loving Criminals. Really? Yeah, those guys that made that wacky Scooby Snack song back in like the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. I've yeah, got they one of their did. albums that I love, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I I like the Fun Loving Criminals too. They actually did a remake of this song on the same album that has um, Scooby Snacks on it, and it's really good. So this is a timeless and beautiful song, and yeah, it holds a lot of weight in the Bond community because of the the movie it's tied to and the meaning that it that it has. But I do see your point, Ryan. It doesn't. I think if you played it for the casual listener, they'd be like, "Oh, that's a real pretty song," and they wouldn't have a single clue that it had a Bond vibe to it. All right, then, uh, moving on to my next selection, and this is the song You Only Live Twice by Nancy Sinatra from the film You Only Live Twice from 1967. You only live twice, or so it seems, one life for yourself and one for your dreams. You 
Uh, this is another one of my favorites, obviously. That's the reason I'm, I'm putting it on this list. Um, it, I, and I think this is actually probably my favorite of the Sean Connery Bond films. Um, I think by the time they hit this one, I, I see your lips moving, Jared. I, I, I think I know. You're all I, right, Ryan. You're all right. Keep going. I, I know that the production for this one was kind of crazy, but uh, like when I was watching it, I felt like this is kind of when they hit the, the formula that I liked for a Bond movie that's just kind of takes you to exotic locations, uh, exotic women. And by the end of it, the villain has a larger than life spectacle fortress. Um, and they, there's, people in monochrome suits that look like cobra troopers there's lots of like ninjas there's people shooting james bond there's a torture there's a piranha trap and there's blofeld too i, I mean yeah, he's making me come around on this i'm like this is <laughs> the best movie. <laughs> i don't i don't think the story necessarily holds whether but it, it kind of had all of the things that i like that I, that i kind of remind us so um but the melody the string arrangement by john barry for this song it's very familiar i'm sure this theme has repeated in other Bond movies besides this one. And by the way, it always makes me think of establishing shots in foreign locations. But, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if there are many Bond fans who have Yolt on a t-shirt. Good, good. <laughs> good for you. So, um, I, and I don't have much else besides that. Just I, It's a song that I really enjoy just aesthetically. It, it pleases me. It does remind me of Bond, and I, it reminds me of one of the movies that I that is high on my list, so... You know, Jared is way better at me in identifying music and really picking out things from uh, the the score from movies. They have little trivia games where they play pieces of Bond music, and Jared does way better at this. With the exception of You Only Live Twice. For whatever reason, that whole album really sticks in my head, and I hear the bum, 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 bum. You know, I, I can... I, <laughs> I can hum just about every song off that track. And this was a beautiful title track uh, by Nancy Sinatra. You you hit the nail on the head. The movie? Yeah, I really like the movie, too. This is a uh, – I guess, you know, Jared may disagree, but how can you go wrong with Volcanoes and Ninjas and Little Nelly, Jared? Little you can't Nelly. go wrong. No, I, I'm not fighting that this is a great movie. Sean Connery's best, I still think, is Goldfinger. But uh, if, you, if someone took this to a court of law – and they, you know, judge ruled you only know, twice as better. I'd be like, all right, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Plus, you have the 007 theme. Yeah, the 007 theme is bold in that movie. Yeah. Let me let me somewhat qualify that. In of all of the, of all of the Connery Bond movies, this one has my favorite third act, my favorite big climactic set oh, piece. Yeah. I would oh. say I would say the first half of Goldfinger is superior to that. The first, the first, I think the first half of Thunderball is one of my favorites. Um, but I think of just like big action set pieces. I think this is my favorite of all of Connery's. So sure, volcano based ninjas, tracksuits. Yeah. This is the, the first of uh, Lewis Gilbert's uh, monorail trilogy and the Bond <laughs> Bond series. Yes, and also some people don't realize uh, part of the script was written by Roald Dahl. Hmm. True. Hmm. I, I don't have a whole heck of a lot to add but i think you did land on another song that is very recognizable outside of the bond of file circles i think as soon as you play people mm. think eh, i think that's a bond song mm-hmm. you may remember it was sampled in the song millennium by robbie yes yes robbie williams williams thank yep. you yeah those notes are iconic and memorable and just because i do a, an entire show on you know the behind the music of james bond I'll let everybody know that this was Nancy Sinatra before she realized 
that she was Nancy Sinatra, and she was so nervous. What you're really listening to is there's a debatable number, but it's somewhere in the 20s. 20 different takes cobbled together to make the this, the version that you hear for the final. She was very nervous and had some wobbly voice, and it finally came together to make an amazingly beautiful song. But I would really like to have heard her come back and hit that when she was at her most confident and, yeah. and see what a difference yeah. it would make. But it's still a gorgeous song. Yeah. All right, Jared, what is your next selection? I have selected, we're going to go right back to where we went on selection number three. We're going to go back to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. I'm going to select the main theme by John Barry from On Her Majesty's Secret Service. one doesn't make you want to drive fast and <laughs> i don't know what will this song just proves once again how much john barry got this universe all right he had the big hand in making the james bond theme what it is you know kudos to monty norman but again barry's arrangements and his orchestra really brought it to life then he writes his own 007 theme, which I think is incredible and amazing. Then he writes this theme. This is the first time that, since the first movie, that you get a purely orchestral theme. Well, that's not exactly true. From Russia with Love, at its mm-hmm, opening mm-hmm, credits, mm-hmm. had an instrumental theme. And a good one, too. And there you go. Now you mentioned that. There's Barry's fourth amazing James Bond thing. So he, he, this is the fourth time that he's done this. And you would think by the, the fourth time this guy's gone, here's a Bond theme for you. Here's a variation of Bond. Now here's another variation. Here's another, by the fourth time, you'd be like, this all sound the same. But they're not. I can immediately tell which one's which. They are all tremendously exciting. Mm-hmm. This one's this one surpasses a lot of other things because they use it in in trailers. They use it in this trailer for Spectre. Yeah, mm-hmm. years yep. later, and when they did, when I saw that trailer, and it, uh, da, 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 I was like, oh, it's all jazzed up again. Just I don't know. Barry gets this universe, and it is on display, loud, bold, and brassy right here. FYI, just as a tack on, this entire soundtrack is mind-blowing. I think it very well may be the best end-to-end Bond soundtrack that has ever been made. And with that declamatory statement, back to you, Jason. Yeah, man. I, it's a one-two punch for me between You Only Live Twice and Honor Majesty's Secret Service. You hit the nail right on the head. We have a new 007. We have a new James Bond, and that requires something different. And yet it has to be something that's the same. How do you do that? You get John Barry and he gives you this masterful opening theme. And you're right. This 
whole soundtrack is just aces from beginning to end. Uh, if you want to treat yourself, folks, listen to You Only Live Twice and then listen to our <laughs> Secret Service. Give yourself a nice one-two punch, man. That is great, Barry. And uh, yeah, the only thing that I, I'm mad about is that Jared beat me to the punch for picking this theme. So I wouldn't say this makes me want to drive fast, but when I hear the song, I think, yeah, I could climb that mountain. I could scale that fortress, no problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that expert route on the ski trail, that this is no problem. I'm gonna go yeah. fight that guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, I, I don't have anything else. I mean it is a great alternate Jane Bond thing. It's it's very cool sound, it's very familiar. I did recognize it when I heard it in other places. Um so yeah, yeah, cool, cool selection there. Uh, Jason, what is your next song? Well, I mixed it up a little bit here. I went into the Roger Moore era. Some would say this was the the apex of the Roger Moore uh, movies. I went with Nobody Does It Better uh, by Carly Simon from the movie The Spy Who Loved Me. this one is i always thought this was a nice song it was a good hum along to song and then roger moore died and i remember how much roger moore meant to me i mean it's like i'm not gonna lie i was i'm a 40 plus year old man when he passes away and i shed tears i never met the man never got the chance to but he was a formative figure in my life growing up and, uh, you know, some people say he was kind of the more campy Bond and there's stuff to that. And, you know, I never really considered him my favorite James Bond. But when he left, when he left this world, I realized how much I really loved and adored that man playing that role. And that song, to me, just evokes everything that was good and decent about Roger Moore and the films that he leaves behind for us to enjoy. Um, and that's why I chose Nobody Does It Better by Carly Simon. I was mad when you chose this because this is my favorite James Bond song. It's also my favorite James Bond movie. Now, Roger Moore is not my favorite Bond. Um, I, I like him, and I think he's he's great for a type of Bond. But this is, I think, from start to finish, this is my favorite Bond movie. And I love the song. And before I ever saw the movie, before I, I mean, I'd heard the version, but before it really kind of stuck in my, in my mind, my, I actually heard a live cover of this song performed by, of all bands, Radiohead. 
<laughs> they performed this during one of their their concerts or something. I think in the '90s, and it started with Tom York saying, "This is the sexiest song that has ever been written." And they launch into this. It's a slow building like type of song. Like you know, it just starts with just one guitar playing the few notes and Tom York's kind of high falsetto voice, and then they kick into a rock version. Like they're going like three guitars out for the last half of the song. Great cover version. Um, and for some reason, based on that, you know, I, went, I I tracked down the original one and I eventually saw the movie. And somehow the lyrics to this song stuck and implanted in my subconscious. Because when I was 18, I went to the hospital for an appendectomy. I had my appendix removed, appendix removed and I stayed overnight. And at some point in the middle of the night, allegedly, I woke up, wrote all of the lyrics to this song down on a napkin or a piece of paper that was by my bed and called the nurse on duty and gave it to her. <laughs> And I, I think she thought I was propositioning her or something. I don't know. Um, Did I don't it work? Re- I don't remember this, but she showed me the piece of paper the next day. Cut to many, many years later, uh, when my son is born, uh, we had my wife had an emergency C-section. So after he was born, they had to take care of her and, and stitch her back up and everything. They whisked me and the baby away to the, the, the nursery area and everything. And I'm sitting alone with him because he's there was a little bit of fluid still in his lungs. They didn't they weren't going to try and like drain it themselves. They were like, let him see if he can breathe it out on his own. He can like let's see how how strong he can breathe it and he can take care of this himself. So. You know, my wife, they're they're finishing up her operation, and then she got sick from the anesthesia. So for about 45 minutes to an hour, it's just me and my son in this room, and I have no idea what – I I am terrified. Like, I thought I was prepared for this mentally, but emotionally I'm not, and I'm also now – I'm alone. I'm like, where is she? Like, this was supposed to be her bonding moment, and I was just supposed to be there for support, and now he's got – like, he's you know, he's clutching to my bare chest – and I just started singing this song. Like, this is the only thing I could do. So, fun fact for my son, Reese, this is the first song he ever heard in his life. <laughs> um, and it was, like, just, like, this this raw moment for me. But it kind of, like, cemented that, yeah, by by leaps and bounds, this is my favorite James Bond theme. That's from probably my favorite Bond movie. Um, yeah, I could I could listen to this one, whether it's Carly Simon's version or other cover versions that I've heard that are good. But uh, yeah, it, it, incredible song. But I just I really really dig it. So well, hell, Ryan, if I knew you were going to come out with a story like that, I would have given you the song. No, 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 no. I, I I like it actually better this way because Jared, uh, you follow that. <laughs> That's good. I don't think I've heard this song. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great story, man. Between uh, auto riding in the middle of the night and stepping up to be the 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 the, the dad when you needed to. I mean, how'd you learn to do the things you do? <laughs> hey, oh, uh, you, and... <laughs> <laughs> you also stole my thunder because I was totally going to bring up the awesome Radiohead cover. <laughs> Everybody, do yourself a favor. Go to YouTube and watch the Radiohead live cover. And you'll know it because, just like Ryan said, he says, this is the sexiest song that's ever written. And then they just go to it. And by the end of it, you're just like, hell yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And then just doubling back to what Jason said, too. I think this was already a really good, memorable, recognizable Bond song. But now that Roger Moore is, is no longer with us, it just means so much more when you hear it. It just it just 
sounds like his legacy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, then moving on to our, our final three in my last song selection, we've got the song Skyfall by Adele from the movie Skyfall. This is the end. Again, as, as I mentioned, if my top three hadn't been taken, uh, this song would be number four on my list. It's also possibly my favorite of any of the opening credits sequences. Um, this one, you know, I, I actually watched this opening title sequence. It was, it was released available before they showed the movie. Uh, and I was like, wow, this is a really incredible, like, what is the, what is the, the framing for this sequence and everything? And when you watch the movie, when it's, you know, James Bond actually gets shot, um, and like falls into the river and everything. I was like, Ooh, this is, this one did a number. I really, really like Adele's voice. Um, for a white lady, I think she captures the kind of soul and spirit in the songs that was only other captured by Shirley Bassey and the next two singers that were going to come up after this one. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, I kind of I like this is I, I like how diverse the the artists who do these songs get. But I mean, if Shirley Bassey could do more than one, I kind of wish Adele. I, I wish we could have heard her doing more. Songs. I think she would have done a better job on the writings on the wall from uh, from Spectre and. Uh, Jared, I know that you haven't heard it yet because you're refusing to, but I, I think Adele would have done a great job on the No Time to Die song um, that has been released for the forthcoming movie. Um, and this is also, it, this is one of my favorite Bond movies. I think this is maybe in my top five. The only thing that sort of takes me out or bothers me, and again, like as I've been watching so many of these movies in, in kind of close succession doing these marathons of them, I'm, I'm finding tropes and formulas that kind of stick out to me and what I think of as kind of a typical James Bond adventure. And the one thing about this one that kind of trips me up is how much of it takes place on James Bond's home turf um, from the major action piece in London uh, with like the, the subway chase and then the, um, the shootout in, in the... Is it is it the Parliament Building or what is it? Uh, I, yeah, I don't even remember. Like the, stately. Yeah, the, the chamber there, um, and then in at his ancestral home, um, it just felt like I, I like seeing like Bond when he, it was just it was a nice inversion of the trope to actually see him be more on the defensive for the last half instead of uh, the the opposite. But it also kind of felt like I was like, well, oh, that that breaks away that challenges my notion of what a James Bond story should be. But yeah, besides that, I love Adele's voice. I think she knocks this one out of the park. She hits the notes really, really well. Um, so yeah. Uh, Jason, what do you think about this one? Well, I agree that the, the song is beautifully written and sung. To me, and this might be a bit of a hot take, but I think this is one of the issues I have with the last three, if you 
if you count the upcoming No Time to Die songs, is like they're all ballads mm-hmm. and they're kind of sorrowful, mournful songs. And to me, all the songs that came before it are powerful songs and in some way or another uplifting or charming. And these are not that. And I think that that's one thing that kind of grates on me. I know it might be kind of, like I said, a hot take, but I'm not really a big fan of the the moody, broody bond and the moody, broody theme songs that have, they've been tending to in the last few films. Hmm. That's a good point. I, I definitely think that the theme is familiar between the songs and the movies. Um, I, I definitely think that's that's kind of the move, the tone that they're going for with between uh, between Skyfall and Spectre, and who knows what with No Time to Die. Um, Jared, what do you think? It's soulful. It's bold and brassy. It has the fingerprints of John Barry, so it's got a lot of what I like in it. I just wish that Adele had gone for it a little bit more and and more of a uh, two singers yet to be named style (laughs) to just really like go for it at the end. I mean, she did a great job. And every time I hear those little notes that kick it off, I perk up and I go, Oh, this is a good song. And it matches its opening credit sequence real well, just like you mentioned. And it's beautiful and it's identifiable. And I think when we look back on it in 10 years from now or so, we're going to say, yeah, that's a pretty landmark Bond song and it's really good. But uh, there is some credence to what Jason says about just sort of uh, sorrowful songs. It's the best of the sorrowful songs series. <laughs> I agree. I haven't heard the newest one because as you alluded to, I steer clear of the new Bond songs. I hear them when I see it at the movie. So I have not heard it. I've avoided it. Jason says it's a, that it's a go, though, that Adele's is still the best. So I, I believe him. So in the end, a really, really strong entry, the strongest entry of the Craig series. And that says a lot because Chris Cornell's song was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I think that's why I like the Chris Cornell, because, again, that was like a prep. Like, it picked me up. It pumped me up. Yeah, you know, and then by the end of Adele's song, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of depressing." <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad inside. Sad. Let's watch Bondy sad inside for two and a half more hours. <laughs> oh, Daniel Craig doesn't understand. Oh no. <laughs> Jason, how the- do you feel about Q in the new series? <laughs> oh man, hipster Q could go suck it. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to completely derail Ryan's whole show. Hate that guy. <laughs> Ask him some follow-up questions on that, Ryan, if you dare. <laughs> Hello, 007. I'm your new quartermaster. Here's a passport and a gun. You're not a quartermaster. You're my secretary. You're giving me plane tickets, a passport, and a gun. A gun with technology that I had in 1989. <laughs> Got him wound up again. I'm that. sorry, Ryan. I couldn't help myself. No, no. That's, I, I knew what I was getting when I brushed it. I'm... I, I still I still don't like Die Another Day. So I just, <laughs> that's odd. I, just, I, I think we're all with you on that one. <laughs> but Pat isn't apparently, and that's no, he's he's dancing to that song as we speak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll, it'll get the cool. Pat bump every time. All right. Well, Jared, take us to your final song of the show. I'll be more than happy to because it is my number one favorite James Bond song. It is "License to Kill" by Gladys Knight, Sands the Pips, from "License to Kill." Hey baby, thought you were the one who tried to run away Ooh, baby, 
Okay, so my number one word for this song for years, for probably 15, 20 years now, is underrated. People love to gloss over License to Kill. I don't know why. It has the best Bond actor in the best Bond movie with the best Bond song, so it's obviously the best Bond ever. Of course, this is my personal opinion. <laughs> but for some reason, well, I can tell you I can tell you the reason. This was the last time that a James Bond movie premiered in the summer, and do you know why, Ryan? Why it premiered in the summer? Why none of the movies since have? Why none of the movies since has premiered in the summer. There's several reasons. It was Batman. Correct. <laughs> it was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, yes. yeah. Well, it, was, it was Lethal Weapon 2. Yes. Was Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2 that summer? Two. Ghostbusters yeah. 2. And this little known artsy piece. Oh, <laughs> it just got th- that summer of 89. Like nobody knew it until it hit, but it was like the greatest summer of movies ever. I remember. And License to Kill just kind of got lost in the shuffle, but it's a really good movie. But we're not here to debate that. We're here to talk about the song. Okay. Gladys Knight is very much starting the twilight of her career by 1989. She was, you know, very big in the 60s, 70s, in the 80s. She starts to go into the twilight. And then in 89, she just steps from the shadows. And it's like, oh, yeah, Gladys Knight is still with us, you know? I remember her. <laughs> yeah, I remember Gladys Knight. Like, okay, this will be a nice you know, little song because she's got a great voice. And she just comes in and just owns it. Just absolutely owns it. It is everything a Bond song should be. It is power. It is captivating. It is sexy. On one level, it makes me want to drive fast, which is great. Um, but <laughs> it's just... It's hey, 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 you've got a license to, to kill, <laughs> not to speed. Oh, thank you, Jason. <laughs> but it just has every piece of the puzzle. And no one outside of the rogue agents <laughs> over on Our Imagine <laughs> Secret Podcast seems to love this song besides us. Well, 75% of us, because Pat doesn't know what he's doing. He loves that Madonna, though. <laughs> <laughs> But it just has every piece. I mean, the title of it is License to Kill. It is so identifiably James Bond, yet has its own flavor, sung in such a powerful and beautiful way way that syncs up with the movie. I think its only detriment is License to Kill has one of the most bland title sequences. I think it might have been Maurice Bender's last one. I think it was. And I think at this point, he might have just been out of ideas, mailing it in, maybe getting a little past his prime. So I think that might have been to the detriment, because if you watch it in conjunction with its titles, its titles are pretty average. But I think you give this song a listen with an open mind, you're going to realize this is a top-tier Bond song. But hey, maybe it's just me. Jason, is it just me? No, it's not just you. And again, because this movie, the movie itself is a dark film probably one of the darkest if not the darkest of the bond movies and this is one where a daniel craig era song would be all moody broody poor me my friend ladder ladder's got no leg got you know by a shark. <laughs> shark. you know Spoiler. Yeah, we, can, we can go this way but no no because gladys comes in and she pumps us up and we're pumped up for this film we're ready for it we're ready for this journey and what a journey it is, man. This is, this is, you know, going back to your original question, I think I just figured out the answer. What makes a great Bond song? It primes you for the film. It gets you ready for that film. And 
this one does it in spades. I think that's my my uh, my final take. Mm. Uh, when you said Gladys Knight sands the pips, I flashed to like an old, I think, SNL skit where they were supposed to be doing Gladys Knight and the pips, but Gladys Knight didn't show up. So they just had the pips doing the backup vocals <laughs> from Midnight Train to Georgia. And just them just going, leaving on a midnight. And like just kind of doing the, like, the backup part. Yeah. Um, I, I love Gladys Knight. I love her voice. Midnight Train to Georgia is like a contender for like a top 10 song all time for me. Uh, I, I love that train. Or, sorry, I love the song. I uh, love her voice. And again, like, I mean, if Shirley Bassey could do three Bond songs, why couldn't Gladys Knight do more? Here, here. And I, I mean, you know, if, if Dalton had gotten more Bond movies, maybe she could have come back for some of these, like in the, in the 80s and 90s. Um, I, I just, I realized, like, as you were kind of describing, and as I mentioned earlier, that I always thought Timothy Dalton had kind of a, a sinister, those wolf eyes that look about it, that kind of creeped me out when I was a kid, kind of scared me. You want to talk about somebody who scared me as a kid? It was Robert Davy. It's like the villain. Like he he doesn't need a villainous master plan. He doesn't need sharks or anything like that. That guy looks at me. I was like, ah, he is evil. He's gonna machete me to death or something. Just gotta stay loyal. That's the key. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey man, yeah, you're loyal. He's gonna hook you up. Apparently, yeah. this real this experience really gives me hope because you're newer to this universe than the rest of us, having mm-hmm. just finished your binge recently, and the fact that you see the value of this song just really helps validate what I've been feeling since 1989. <laughs> so I appreciate this. It wasn't just you, Jared. Yes. <laughs> there are plenty of other islands that you are alone on, but it's not this one. Yay. <laughs> hey, I got friends on this island. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jason. So take us to our ninth and final song for this episode. All right. For the ninth and final song, for many of the same reasons that Jared loved, License to Kill, I'm going with Goldeneye by Tina Turner for the movie Goldeneye. See reflections on the water, more than darkness in the depths. See him surface and never a shadow. On the wind, I feel his breath. Goldeneye. Once again, it took me till the very end of this show to figure out what makes a good Bond theme, but this is one that primes the pump. So go back to 1995. Bond's been out of the theaters for six years, about. And I'm going back, and I'm seeing a new Bond, and I'm nervous as hell, man, because I know if they don't get this movie right, 
this franchise is pretty done. I see one of the best pre-title sequences ever. I am just blown away. You see the explosions. Bod flies off. You hear those notes. Bump, 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 bump. And the, it just breaks into Tina Turner's just wonderful vocals. It's a banger of a song. And uh, I think this is probably, if I had to pick, this is probably my number one Bond theme song. This is my number two. This would have been my, my number two if you hadn't picked it. Uh, I, I, yeah, I love the song. It's And again, going back to my, my chronology, you know, I kind of knew who James Bond was. I knew that there was this legacy because of Timothy Dalton and Sean Connery before that and other actors that at the time I didn't really know or pay attention to. But GoldenEye was the first time where like it felt like a contemporary thing. I was aware – I was old enough to realize there's a new actor. We're starting a new era. This is a new kind of going concern for my generation. And this song was all over MTV, and I loved it because this was really the first time when I was aware that the theme song for James Bond was an event in and of itself, um, and that they made a music video for this that they were releasing and hyping. Uh, Tina Turner looked and sounded great, and being a U2 fan, I was aware that the song was written by Pano and The Edge, which I thought was really, really cool. And then I thought it was kind of funny that one year later, the other members of U2, Larry Mullen Jr. and Adam Clayton, did the theme song for Mission Impossible, the Tom Cruise, the first Mission Impossible movie with Tom Cruise. Um, so I thought that it was kind of funny that they were almost trying to like one-up their, their bandmates. Um yeah, I just I, I don't have much more to say. Like, yeah, like just from those first notes, um, I don't know or think Barry had anything to do with it, but I feel like his ghost is involved in this song somehow. Like, it just it it feels like it resonates. Like everything that you said, this feels this feels like it could have come from the '60s or '70s Bond. Like, it feels of a piece with those classic Bond of like a, a different generational type of song and for me that that makes it more important because it feels a little bit timeless and classic and uh, sorry it feels more timeless that way uh and yeah this i mean after after nobody does it better which has a lot more emotional resonance for me like on a pure sound level i mean this is my next up favorite bond song so jared what do you think oh absolutely this is this is top tier stuff this this is sort of in a constant fist fight with Gladys Knight for my top spot. I just, I've just carried the Gladys Knight flag for so long. I have to continue <laughs> to carry it my number one spot. But this, uh, Jason's right. This is a comeback song. I, I, I'm going to wax poetic here for a second. I feel like Barry and Shirley Bassey got together like circa 1964, and they whispered an idea into a bottle together, and then they closed that <laughs> bottle and they said, "We'll open this bottle in 1995." And they did, and the most beautiful thing came out of it. it it's perfect. It's per. It's a perfect Bond song. It's sexy. It's bold. It's brassy. It makes you want to drive fast. All the criteria are still there. <laughs> and, and like you mentioned too, with the U two, with the Mission Impossible, and the James Bond, and then in this same year, they also had Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me on the Batman, Forever, Batman Forever soundtrack, which is a freaking fantastic <laughs> song. Is, they were yeah, just that's... like on fire in 1995, 1996. <laughs> they were everywhere. They had people everywhere. <laughs> but yeah, this is gorgeous, beautiful song sung by a gorgeous, beautiful woman. I mean, it's perfection. It's Bond perfection. All right. Well, uh, that is our list. Is, those are our soundtrack selections. Uh, guys, any final thoughts just on now that we've discussed these? Any final thoughts on like the history, the legacy of Bond songs? Um, 
things that you might want to hear in the future or something? Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's some final thoughts. If you were sort of foreign to the James Bond music world and this podcast got you interested, I want to welcome you in. I want you. I want to encourage you to go listen to all the Bond themes. I'm told that there's a if you have Apple, uh, what's it called? Apple Music. That there is a mm-hmm. James Bond playlist that you can get has them all, including Never Say Never Again, the Oddball Bond movie. Because that's how Delvin learned them all for our show. He just kept going through his playlist. I encourage you to check those out. And if by any means it kind of gets its its fingers into you, then go listen to some John Barry music. You might not realize how many scores that this man has done of movies that you love. And it's his his body of work is fantastic. I recently ordered a six CD set where the City of Prague Orchestra, re, re, and they are incredible. City of Prague Orchestra is so good that I, when I hear them, I, I can't tell the difference between theirs and the original Barry stuff sometimes. It's amazing. Yeah, they've done a ton of John Williams stuff, too, that I've heard. Yes, it, it sounds yes almost they've done. Yeah. Yep, they've done. They, they just do the best stuff. Grab you that Barry box set. The man is a genius. The man is such a huge part of why James Bond is a phenomenon, but he's a part that doesn't get talked about enough. So I just want to plug Barry right here at the end of the show. I want to welcome people to the world of Bond music. And by all means, uh, I'm sure you'll plug your social medias later, but you know, let us know. What do you like? What, what are your favorites? And, and keep the conversation going because we love it. Jason, any final thoughts? No, just thanks for having us on, Ryan. We really had a great time. And, uh, you know, Jared and I, we can, we're ready and willing to talk Bond whenever. And uh, congratulations on finishing your track through all 24 of the James Bond movies. I know that's no mean feat. And uh, welcome to the club, sir. Welcome to the Double uh, O Agent Club, including Never Say Never Again. I actually that that was included in one of the ones that I hadn't seen. So well, very nice. Well done. And actually, I, I at some point at some point in the past, I knew what the story was and like all the controversy about it. But it, it was like half an hour into the movie. I'm like, this is a lot like Thunderball. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> what is Thunderball again? Okay, I have to know whether you leave in the show or not, you know, 30 seconds or less or whatever. What are your thoughts? Never say never again. I Overall, I, I, I had kind of a favorable experience. I think it's a, it's a fine movie. I like it, but I didn't like it as much as Thunderball. I think it's weird that Sean Connery did it again. I mean, I understand it. it was kind of just a fuck you to Albert Broccoli, but I was kind of like, Okay, I would sort of understand it if it was Roger Moore or somebody else doing Thunderball because at least it's a different actor putting their different spin. But I'm like, this is the same plot, dude. Like, why, why? Like, <laughs> did, did a narrow lane they you, had to stay in. Did you remember what you were doing? Did you know this? But so <laughs> they had a narrow lane they had to stay in, and Connery made a crap ton of money. He sure did. Uh, speaking of that, Mr. Connery, do you have anything to say before we go? Still waiting on those digits. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to introduce you to my mother. This feels like it's uh, going I would down. Recommend against the, it. The odds are she and I have already met. Mister <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> Connery, I can't believe you would say such things. All you pansies just need to lighten up. And, and Ryan, just so you get the full experience. Oh, am I late? <laughs> it's me, Christopher Walken. I played Max Zorin in *The View to a Kill*. <laughs> And you're proud of that? Why? Oh, Connery's here. That's not good. (laughs) No, it's not good. Not good for you. Oh, Daly's lost control of his show. (laughs) Why don't you just tap dead your pansy ass out of here? 
We're missing silver hands and Gary Money Penny. <laughs> Gary Money Penny and Countdown Jerry. There, we got them all in. Oh, oh, not Mary Jane. No. <laughs> so many shows colliding. All right, guys. Thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, where else can we find you in the podcastosphere or what other projects would you like to, to pimp out for us? Jared, you can go first. All right. If you want to check me out on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, I'm at Yard Sale Artist. You can check out my YouTube channel. If you search Yard Sale Artist, you'll find me there. I draw pictures and stuff. And then as far as podcasting goes, I podcast with my brother on the Long Box Crusade Network. Um, I'll leave the I'll leave the Bond stuff to you, Jason. On the Long Box Crusade Network, you can find us doing all kinds of Long Box Crusade Network things. Like you mentioned, Action Film, Face Off, Saturday Matinee Theater, Crusader Chronicles. You name it, we're on it. Come check us out. It's a good time. And that's Long Box Crusade. Jason, tell them about our other network. Well, if we've whetted your appetite for some more James Bond, you can find us over on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, we do uh, the show Rogue Agents. And you can go back and look at our catalog of Rookie Agents, where we go through all 24 of the James Bond series with our friends Delvin and Pat. Plus, Uh, never say never again. Plus, never say never again. Yes, (laughs) we should throw that in there. And I saw that we shamed them into doing never say Mm -hmm. never again as well. So, well done. Well done. Uh, Other than that, if you want to get in touch with me personally, you can find me at Weasel Skull on Twitter or Jason Albrick on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, I, I highly recommend all of your shows, the stuff you guys do on the Long Box Crusade with uh, Action Film Face-Off and, and Crusader Chronicles. Everything you guys have been doing is, is wonderful, and I always have a ton of fun listening. Uh, and yeah, just since I've been going through the, the Rookie Agents at, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, I thought it's so much fun. I am beyond impressed uh, although it's such a weird thing to be impressed by but when you guys do the callbacks to the lines of dialogue uh and, and <laughs> what makes like you that. say that jason's really good at it yeah it's just that's <laughs> some better than others i got a little weak in the daniel craig here <laughs> uh i mean that's to be understood if you haven't seen him as often but yeah so uh yeah again thank you very much for being on this episode guys People, Fire & Water Records is a proud part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com, as well as Facebook and Twitter. Special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on how you can support the Fire & Water Podcast Network, visit patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. You can also support the show by going to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you download these shows, basically, and leave us a nice five-star review. Every review for Fire & Water Records helps push the show to a wider and wider audience. All music clips and quoted lyrics are used for entertainment purposes, and no copyright infringement is intended. Thank you for listening.